Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Great having you here, Chris. Uh, Chris, let's catch right back up on, on where we left off, a couple of our previous conversations around inflation. Um, following up on those, it appears that both equity investors and fixed income investors agree that in the inflation now will be transitory. Does that align with the way that you are viewing the economy? Yeah, I would look at, I think about it this way. We hope it's transitory. History would say that it's going to be transitory, but there's nothing in the data yet that says it's transitory. A lot of people are pointing to the base effects as the driver for inflation or the disruptions in the supply chains. Um, and that may be a gross oversimplification. The simple truth is, and the data that we follow says, inflationary pressures are continuing to rise, and we should expect inflation to continue to increase, not just in the United States, but globally. Um, and that's driven by the cyclical forces that drive inflation becoming self-reinforcing. And that, by its definition, means it doesn't have to be transitory. Uh, inflation's very much driven by things other than supply chain, supply chain disruptions and simple base effects. And once those factors in the economic agents become self-reinforcing, it becomes its own cycle. And that's what's happening right now. So we need to wait and see. Right now, the data says it's going to continue to increase and it's going to continue to be an issue. Uh, and that's going to be contrary, con contrary to what we see from a, from a global growth standpoint. All right, so we'll continue to wait and see. Um, and as we're waiting and seeing on that, uh, we can talk maybe about what we saw today with the industrial cycle. Uh, it, it appears as though we've received some confirmation that there's, there's certainly going to be a slowdown in the industrial cycle. Um, everything that we need to see to confirm has, has fallen in place, things like uh, you know, some of the leading indicators, price signals. Um, can you expand on, on what you're seeing in the industrial cycle? Yeah, as we talked about probably a month or so ago, we were getting the very early indications from the longest leading indicators that there was a potential for a global industrial slowdown later in 2021. Uh, since that time, the, the more immediate term signals fell into place to confirm it, and now the shortest signals uh, fell into place to confirm it. So what we'll see in the data probably over the next couple of months is, in fact, a global industrial slowdown. We'll never know to the extent uh, that things are going to slow. It could simply be the case that we've come out of such a V-shaped recovery from the goods consumption and the beginning to rebuild inventories that we're going to transition to a lower rate of growth. That would be what I would anticipate. Um, and so on the margin, what would you do as an investor? Um, you know, to the extent the, the, the company or the strategy you own already reflects this coming slowdown and the demand that's kind of generated its growth in the last year wasn't one time or a direct beneficiary of some of the pandemic's spending or, or some of the impacts of the shutdown, there's probably not much to do. But to the extent you were a beneficiary of the recovery or to the extent you are a highly cyclical uh, position or strategy that really does need a continuation of this rate of change that we've seen in the recovery in order to hit your returned objectives, then you're going to be disappointed and you need to start selling or exiting those positions. And to some extent, the market's already started discounting this. We've seen it in the way the semiconductors peaked earlier. Uh, we're starting to see it both in exchange-traded uh, industrial metals and non-exchange-traded industrial metals as those are starting to peak. 
Uh, and the irony is going to be while we see this industrial slowdown unfold, and it could be the leading edge of a further slowdown, even on the services side, but right now that doesn't, that doesn't seem to be the case. So we'll have reasonably healthy uh, GDP growth going forward, geared more towards the services side than the goods producing side. But even with this industrial slowdown, we're still going to see an increase in inflationary pressures. Right. So to tie th- things to tie in together and keep an eye on. Um, some other interesting news that, that come up this, popped up this week, um, some, some really uh, interesting developments in the crossover world between energy and, and car manufacturers. Um, so the first, if, if you're not following this story, um, Engine Number 1, uh, which is an activist head fund investor, uh, they have about uh, 0.02% of Exxon shares. Um, that company won uh, two board seats, and they have a possible third undecided seat as, as we're recording this, uh, this conversation. Um, and previous to gaining the board seats, Engine Number 1 had requested for Exxon to invest in, in both clean energy um, along with a, a zero net emissions by 2050. Um, Exxon's stance was no. Uh, on the back of, of engine number one's request, uh, resulting you know, mainly from the COVID, COVID pandemic, um, Exxon posted their first ever annual loss. They lost about $22 billion. Um, so th- this was interesting, right, because it was, this story was coupled um, with Ford's announcement that they're going to invest $30 billion into electric vehicles by 2030. Um, they also anticipate that their, their global fleet will become electrified, uh, or excuse me, about 40% of their global fleet will become electrified by 2030. So, you know, both Exxon and Ford popped um, substantially off, off this news. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, really just more of a, a broader question here, but, you know, do you think this is a sign of the future? Yeah, I, I think it's... It's important to put all this in context and where we are. Clearly, this is all a part of uh, the increased relevance of ESG within the investing realm. Um, and it's moved from products that uh, you know investors wanted to invest in that, that has driven some significant outperformance for certain sectors. Um, it's caught the attention of boards, and, and some companies are very forthcoming like Ford of, hey, we're making moves because it has a direct impact on them. And then you have the laggards. Uh, and I wouldn't consider Exxon a laggard. The, the energy industry has looked at reducing its far carbon footprint or how to compete in a world with less fossil fuels and have made significant research investments in order to address this. Um, but this is all a part of the maturity of that process. I think it's important as investors when you think about ESG you know, certainly there's different views from different parts of the world, and other regions of the world are much further advanced in the way they consider and integrate ESG into their allocation decisions. I think we've seen it in the U- U.S. predominantly as a marketing tool, um, and I think the movement will mature. I think corporations, Exxon, activists, all participants will adapt. Um, we'll start to separate ESG into its component parts. E is very different than S, which is very different than G. Um, the data and the databases that a lot of third-party provides are uh, very inadequate, very inaccurate, not out of malfeasance or neglect. It's just the data hadn't been, I think, forthcoming. It hadn't been important for companies to provide, so we'll start getting better disclosures. We'll start getting better data. Um, I also think it's really important to keep something in mind, which is ESG is driven by two forces, science and politics. Sometimes it's more science than politics. Sometimes it's more politics than science. 
But neither science nor politics are set in stone. They change. They change as, in the case of science, as we learn more, uh, as more research is done, as more information and capabilities are developed and new technologies are developed, science will adapt and solutions will adapt. And when we start to deal with the, the realities of, of physics and chemistry and the realities of economics and politics, I think winners and losers are going to change across time. Uh, it's certainly the case with politics. What is going to be politically expedient when oil's at $60 and there's plenty of stimulus money is uh, not going to be palpable if oil moves to 150 and we have difficulty funding deficits without generating inflation. So I think it, it's important to uh, understand all these factors, keep a very open mind. Um, I'm not in the camp that there's good companies and bad companies. There's, there's good processes, bad processes. There's good externalities and bad externalities. Um, but the idea that we're 100% sure it's all going to be electric vehicles, I think it's too early to make that decision. It's going to depend on the region and what other technologies are available and are developed. Um, to the extent we, we assume that fossil fuels are going to have a, a, a smaller role in the world 10, 15, or even 20 years from now, again, I think it's too early. Um, their percentage of energy demanded may decline, but the absolute level of fossil fuel consumption may in fact increase. Um, so I, I just really think it's important to uh, keep an open mind, understand where we are in this process, understand that a lot is going to change. Um, as you know, as an institutional investor, it's incumbent upon us to stay on top of these issues, stay on top of the data. Uh, ensure we, we develop the tools we need to, to meet clients' needs. But, um, yeah, I think what we've seen with Exxon and what we've seen is with Ford is really just the beginning of the beginning um, and not necessarily can we take from that and extrapolate uh, very far into the future. And, and just one, one follow-up to that. So, you know, if I'm thinking about U.S. companies, broadly speaking, um, I think it's fair to, to say that they've been laggers in ESG versus European companies. Um, you know, with with high with, with getting these highly visible larger companies, something like a Ford, right, announcing these changes, do you think that this will accelerate their peer behavior um, relative to any type of regulation or government intervention, or do you think that the U.S. companies are going to still be driven by consumer? Well, it's not. It, it, it's going to depend on the industry specifically. The auto industry has clearly been driven more by regulation than consumer taste, right? When we changed uh, miles per gallon requirements and criteria, when we changed exhaust, we've changed safety. Um, and that's driven a lot of the model changes. It's driven smaller vehicles. It's driven, you know, smaller engines. It's driven hybrids. Um, you know, there's also an element, we got to be a realistic. You know, I look at Tesla as having a first mover disadvantage, right? They move out, they develop the market. Now we have products coming to market by known participants that will be profitable from the very beginning and we'll have the aftermarket sales and service to support and have replenished models. Um, it wasn't that the traditional automakers were laggards. They're, it was smart. It's strategic. Let's, let's let the market develop and when it's there, we're going to show up in mass and help and assist with that transition. Um, 
you know, so it, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Some of it's regulation, some of it's consumer. Um, other areas, I think, are going to be more interesting to see what develops within the food space, right? Um, and there's, you know, we're going to see it play out across, you know, multiple industries. So some will be purely consumer-driven. Some will be more regulatory, for sure. Well, some a little bit uh, longer arcing stories today that we're, we're touching on here. So we'll certainly um, keep these in mind as we continue our conversations. But um, that's it for today. So thank you very much, Chris. And uh, we'll catch you on here very soon. You bet. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.